You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. All right, so, so prayer and fasting. So first of all, let's look at, let's look at the power. We're going we're gonna to look at prayer. How does God tell us to pray? Let's first get his direction. It's pretty simple, so we're going we're gonna to go through that here in a second. But I, I want you to know something. There's power in prayer, and I found this out at a young age. Uh, I was um, in college and my mom, if you know my mom, she was here for the prophetic conference. She's a powerful prayer warrior. Well, my brother, who's about 12 years younger than I am, DJ, not Daniel, who you see on the screen often. DJ is 12 years younger, so I'm the oldest. Then you got Daniel, and then Becca, and then DJ. He's the baby. And uh, he, he was in high school when I, when, um, yeah, I was a little, I guess maybe a, I was a year or two out of college. But I remember that he was dating a gal that was not, re- was not good for DJ. You know, we all knew it. Like, we tried to tell him, like, DJ, this gal is not for you. And, but he was head over heels. He's al- he always had a crush on her in high school. And, and, you know, when you try to talk to somebody who's in love, you all maybe know this, right? Like, you can't break through, right? It's just, you're just talking to, like, a rock. It's not going to do anything, right? Well, we just knew. And, and so, you know, as brothers, Daniel and I would be like, dude, break up with her for crying out loud. She's stringing you along. She's abusing you. She doesn't, she doesn't treat you well. Just break up with her. Now, we're not recording this one online right now. I don't know if I'll be able to say that next service, all right, for the online because who knows? She may be listening and she'll know who she is, all right, when she's listening. But in this service, I can, you know, be, be pretty can- candid with you. But so, so we just were like, oh, man, DJ, if, if, don't end up marrying this gal. Like, it's just going to go very poorly for you. But you couldn't talk to him. So if a few weeks go by, and, and, you know, we had this conversation with him. And, you know, Daniel and I tell mom, like, hey, we're not getting, no one's getting through to him. And she's like, all right. Well, then about two weeks later, this gal just has a complete change of heart and breaks up with DJ. And I was, Daniel and I were like, whoa, we would never saw that coming. Like, we didn't see, we did not think that she would ever break up with DJ or he would break up with her. But she totally has a change of heart. It crushed DJ. I mean, we obviously as brothers, you're like, suck it up, man. Like, move on. You'll be fine. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, and he was too, you know, we were right. Like he's found an amazing gal and is married to her now and would, wouldn't change anything about it. But we, we, we were like, how did this happen? Well, come to find out in those two weeks, guess what was going on? My mom just took it to the Lord and said, all right, Lord, we need you to break this thing up. We need you in the mighty name of Jesus to break this, this relationship up. And wouldn't you know it, two weeks later, that thing broke up. And it was, it was honestly, it was, it was really cool to see. And it was hilarious at the same time, too. Because and now DJ, you know, if you were here, he'd be like, dude, like, I was hurting. My heart was broken, all right? And as brothers, you should have loved me and, and coddled me. And we'd be like, dude, no, absolutely not. That's not what we do as brothers. But, but. <laughs> So anyway, prayer and fasting, I just saw that in, the, in a house where, you know, we had parents that really valued prayer, but there was power in that prayer. So let's dive into God's Word, and it says this in, in Matthew. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew, and, and we're going to be in, um, uh, we're, we're going to study what God says uh, here about how to pray. So Jesus' disciples go, they say to him, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. By the way, it's Matthew 6. I don't know if I said that. Matthew 6, verse 5. 
But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So don't, don't try to put on a show. Some people say, ah, I don't know if I can pray in front of other people because I just, it wouldn't be very uh, eloquent. It would just kind of be, I'd be stumbling over my words. That's okay. That's exactly how God calls us to pray. Don't put on a show. Just be authentic. It's a relationship with your father. Do you ever stumble like when you talk to your parents or if you talk to your children? Like you, you get pretty comfortable just being you, right? You, you get pretty comfortable just saying what is really truly on your heart. Well, that's what God, that's what Jesus is saying. When you go to the father, just be you. He already knows you. You know, you're not hiding anything from him. You, you know, verily, verily, I say to thee, O Lord, my God, my lover of my soul, I come to you now to hear my petitions, right? Like, he's going to be like, shut up. Like, <laughs> you don't talk to anybody like that. Like, stop, you know? Just be you, okay? And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Okay, just... Just get to the point. Be simple. doesn't have to be this wordy thing. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. So this is great. So now He's going to teach His disciples. Okay, here's the structure. Because I, I think, you know, ultimately, just like the disciples, we all look for steps and for structure and for that, you know, that five-step program that's going to get us to the end goal. So, so while Jesus is kind of like saying the 30,000-foot view at the beginning, he then breaks it down. He says, and let me just show you how it should look. He says, this is how you pray. You start with giving God the glory for being the Father of all of heaven and earth, right? And, and he's, he's also highlighting something that you are, if, if he, you're saying Father, that means by, by the comparison, then you will be children, right? So he's your Father in heaven. He's not a God in heaven. He's your Father in heaven. There's a relationship piece that was obviously very different than the, than the Jewish custom at the time. Yahweh was... And, and rightfully so, there was a fear of God that the Jews had, which is good, and you need that. But a lot of times they miss the father component, the relationship piece, right? So Jesus is kind of trying to kind of redirect their thinking say, hey, you need to fear him and revere him, absolutely, but he is your father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You're holy. You're set apart. You alone are the God, the supreme being, the one true God. Like, I'm giving you the rightful place. I'm putting you on your rightful place. You're hallowed and you're my dad. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, so this is, this is saying, God, whatever you want to accomplish, please do that in my heart. Do it through me and use me however you want for your kingdom purposes. You know, we do something at Life Church, it's called kingdom builders. Why? Because we want God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how many of you know in heaven there's no poverty, there's no sickness, there's no despair? There's no destruction. There's joy upon joy and blessing upon blessing. That's what we should be praying. We should be praying for that joy and the blessing to fill your homes, your community. You, but you say, God, just bring yourself. When you come, all that other stuff takes care of itself, and, and we will see the goodness of, king, of the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today all the things that we need. God knows you got needs. He knows you're going to have to have food and clothing and shelter, transportation probably to get to work, a good job or a job, you know, something that will provide. He knows that you're going to need that. It's okay to ask him for those things. It's not a selfish ask to say, Lord, I need food. Would you please provide for me? The, the Israelites did this in the wilderness, and every day God would send manna, send these wafers from heaven. Manna literally means, what is it? In, in, in Hebrew, it's like, hey, guys, 
Let's eat. What is it? Exactly. Here you go. That's like who's on first, right? You know, who's on first? Yes, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? But, but God does that. He gives you your manna because he knows you've got needs. And forgive us our debts. Now you're, you're getting to the root of, of what the separation was. Where it was our fault, our mistakes. You know, our, I was talking to, uh, uh, to, John, uh, or to uh, John earlier in the back, and we were talking about somebody in his life that, that um, you know, is, we're, we're praying for, that she would know the Lord. Uh, but her response to John is, oft, is often, I'm a good person, right? I'm a good person. And so we were talking, and it was like, well, by whose standards, right? Whose standards are you measuring yourself? If you think you're going to get to heaven someday because you're a good person, you might be good comparatively to Adolf Hitler, okay? Right? Okay, that's good. I hope, I hope everyone in this room is good compared to Adolf Hitler, okay? Like, that's, that's a good place to start, right? But by God's standards, good isn't good enough. You got to be perfect, like, there can't be one mistake that you've ever done in your life, because if you do, that separates you from God, that you, you have created a debt that you cannot pay in that moment. If you've made one mistake, I don't care how small or how big it is, one mistake. So if there's anyone in this room that can stand up and say, I'm perfect, well, great, you can leave because you're good, right? And uh, go, go rest and sleep on Sundays, right? Don't waste your time. But we all know what Scripture says. There's not one of us who is perfect. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? That's why Jesus had to come, God incarnate in flesh, because God is perfect. He had to come to be that perfect sacrifice so that we can then take on his perfection. So, so you gotta, but you got to ask for forgiveness to do that. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to leave my crap to you, and I'm going to exchange it for your perfection and your blood to cover me, right? That's, that's the beauty of, of the gospel, and we, we talked all about that during Christmas. So, yeah, it was an amazing Christmas series that we just got to really dive into the gospel. And as, as we have also forgiven our debtors. So those who have trespassed against us and have sinned against us, well, if you feel blessed because God has forgiven you of your major wrongdoings, then you should probably return the favor to other people in your life. It's easy to look at them and say, how dare them, and I will never forgive them because they don't deserve my forgiveness. Okay. Great, if you want to play that game, just know that if you don't do this, if you don't forgive them, then God might just say the same thing about you. And you don't want that. And this is what Jesus says as he goes on. He says, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, Lord, we know the world's evil. Protect us. Give us your spirit to guide us. For if you forgive, and this is what Jesus was saying, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. All right? That's, that's the point of, of praying this prayer. You're, it's, the, it's the creating in me a clean heart, O oh God, renew a right spirit within me. It's what, that's what David was pl- praying when he wrote Psalm 50. Just, Lord, give, us, give me that clean heart. Set me in right standing with you so that I can go out and be a blessing to others. Let your kingdom come. And that's the model. It's a very simple model. But we're also looking at this idea of fasting. Okay, so we've got prayer and fasting. So in this same passage... In, verse, in the next verse, in, verse uh, well, in the next few verses, in verse 16, Jesus talks about fasting. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. I mean, multiple times Jesus has used this word hypocrites. You can kind of see he gets annoyed with people who act one way but really believe or do something else, right? Or they say something else and then do something else. Hypocrites are not good in God's eyes. Don't be a hypocrite. He says, don't look somber when you fast. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
He's basically saying, if you want to go out and boast about what you're fasting, like how it's going and you know, how awesome you are, okay, but that's your reward. You're not going to get a reward from the Lord. And trust me, God's reward is way better than the reward you want to give yourself. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Oil is symbolic of the Spirit of the Lord being poured out over you. But wash your face. Why? Because a lot of times in those days, people would fast. They would put sackcloth and ashes on. They would, again, walk around. People, look at me. I'm fasting. Look how holy I am, everyone. Come look. See how awesome I am. You know, right? It's like uh, Anchorman, that clip's like, hey, everyone, get over here. Look how awesome I am, right? You know, everyone, come see how, how great I am, right? Well, that's your reward. If you want to do it that way, go for it, but you're not going to get a reward from the Lord. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, just like you do every day, so people, they don't know something crazy is going on in your life, so that it will not be obvious to, you, to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so that's the, that is what's happening when you fast. So what we're going to do in 21 Days of Prayer, we're going to encourage us all to fast. Now, I'm not asking you to go and tell everyone what you're doing, but, you know, and again, don't, it's a boastful heart. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing, not to boast, okay? So I'm, like, I'm not, to, I, you're like, didn't they say not to tell anyone? I'm going to tell you from a leadership perspective what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be giving up food, right? So there'll be, there will be times in this 21 Days of Prayer where I'm going to go for an extended period of time for food. One, partially because when you fast, when you start to feel the urges to take part in that normal routine that you have, when you're giving it up, it should trigger in your mind, okay, I need that physically, but what's more important is what I need spiritually. So I'm going to take that time that I would normally go to eat, and I'm going to go pray instead. Okay, I'm going to say, Lord, I know my body's hungry, but I'm going to give this time up because I know my spirit needs you more than my body needs food. And I'm, I'm going to trust you that you're going to be my sustaining grace in this. So, so that's one thing I'm going to be. Some people do uh, electronics. Some people fast in, in other ways. You know, I, I tried to say I'm going to fast from work, but that didn't, I didn't get away with that one. So they said, no, you can't do that. I'm like, why not? Why can't? Why can't we, right? Go to your boss and say, hey, I'm at church. They told us to pray and fast. So I'm going to take three weeks off because I'm fasting from work. You know, you're welcome. You know, <laughs> no, but anyway, so, but that's between you and God. So you do what you believe the Lord is laying on your heart to fast, but try to give something up for an extended period of time, whether that's a day, three days, seven days, or 21 days. And the idea behind 21 is Daniel prayed for 21 days and got his breakthrough. We see that in the, in, in the story of Daniel. But also 21 days, practically speaking, is how long it takes to build a habit. We've done studies and we've seen that 21 days is really how that habitual kind of, that, that habit-forming mentality uh, how long that takes for that to form. So 21 days to prayer. Now, for a uh, prayer. So what, what we also want to do, we want to give you some, some medical advice. Now, I'm not a doctor, but praise God, we got a few doctors in the church, and they want to kind of explain a little bit more in depth the fasting piece. So what maybe, like, what you should do when it comes to fasting physically, what your body, you know, we don't want someone to pass out and die, right? We don't want you to, like, you know, be, like, so famished that you're driving down, you know, I-69, you pass out and get in a car accident. Like, we want you to be wise on this, too. So check out this video from one of our own, Dr. Vinod Palakanda. His wife, Sue, and him started the Agape Wellness Clinic. But they did a short video uh, just kind of explaining, here, here's some good ways to fast, here's some not-so-good ways to fast, so check it out. Hi, good afternoon, Life Church. My name is Dr. Vinod Palakanda. I'm happy to talk to you about fasting as the church is starting a 21-day fast. There's different types of fasting. We want everybody to take part. 
Um, some of the types of fasting that we're going to talk about, we don't want pregnant women to be a part of it or children under the age of 18 uh, to take part in the full fast. But other types of fasting away from things, items, types of food, activities, TV, social media, those things are fantastic to do. Everybody has to talk and figure out what you would like to do. I'm here to talk a little bit more about fasting from certain types of foods or different types of fasting. There's, of course, the Daniel fast where you're not eating the same type of food for the set, of, set amount of time of 21 days. And then that's just basically eating vegetables or some types of foods that you're normally uh, used to eating. You're going to abstain from that, eat something else, like Daniel did lentils and stuff. So you can do that. You can abstain from soda. You can abstain from fast food. There's many different types of things you do want to do. But there's also other types of fasting. Those who are a little bit more hardcore want to do outdo what they did the last few years. And some of that type of fasting is intermittent fasting is fantastic. If you've never really done anything and you want to start something with that, intermittent fasting is basically staying away from food for a certain amount of time a day. And honestly, you actually, the, any, any meal that we eat, we expend about 50% of our body's energy towards that. And so when you're fasting from food, your body has time to address the needs that it has. And so intermittent fasting is a great way to start, ideally about 16 to 8. So 16 hours a day, you're not eating. So after dinner, you go to bed, you wake up, skip breakfast and or lunch. If you're not used to it, just skip breakfast and go to your lunch and you can extend it. If you've already done some of this last year, push yourself a little bit more. The other type of things we can talk about is water only fast. Things to remember are you would we normally like to do a detox before if you're going to do a water only fast because as we grow older and stuff or from our from our younger days we build up toxins in our bodies and they get deposited into fat. And in order for the body to take care of those things it takes time. And if you're doing intermittent fasting and those kind of things, our body uses the energy form of glucose, mainly comes from carbohydrates and things. And the carbs, it takes about 24 hours to get out of our system and our body goes into ketosis where it's using not, not the carbohydrates, but it's going to the fat stores. That is where all the toxins get stored up. And if you're doing an extended fast or a water only fast, and again, type of water, probably distilled water or something filtered from top down, okay? So keep yourself hydrated. The toxins that build up and go through two phases of metabolism, because from fat soluble, they have to become water soluble, and there's phases in the liver that does that. Liver and kidneys are detoxing factories. So in order to do it safely, if you have a lot of fat and a lot of toxins being stored, the fast will break up the toxins in the liver make it from fat soluble to water soluble means you can excrete it through the urine, through sweat, and those kind of things. That can start getting you a little bit sick if you have a lot of toxins stored up. So ideally, a few days or a week before, you want to do a liver detox, a bile detox, etc. Bile is what is excreted or secreted from your gallbladder to break down fats. The body goes into what you call autophagy. Autophagy is where the body eats itself. And that happens in about 72 hours of a fast, of a water-only fast. This is when your stem cells, which are regenerative cells, will start repairing DNA that's gone bad or arthritic type of things or the brain or anything else like that. Autophagy is a fantastic thing. But earlier we had said that when you're eating meal, 
50% of the energies go towards that. When you're fasting, that energy goes towards other things where the body is repairing, getting your, your heart, your body, soul, and spirit in line with according to God's word, okay? So there's things you need to do differently. So as you go into autophagy, your stem cells are being regenerated, they're being stimulated for any disease process in the body, in the joints, in your gut, in your brain, even nerves are being regenerative, uh, regenerated, okay? So full repair starts happening in about 72 hours. Can you get there with intermittent fasting? The answer is yes, it'll just take a little bit longer to do that. And when you go to autophagy, you will start repairing. The idea is you should not do a strenuous exercise. So if you have a family, you have kids, you have work, you have to be careful. You can do about 15 minutes walking, something else like that. If you had sunshine, do that. Meditate on the word of the Lord. Another thing you need to do when you're meditating and doing something is breathing, deep breathing. You breathe where the diaphragm moves. So stomach breathing, so breathe out. As you're doing that, you're stimulating the parasympathetic, okay? That's your calming stuff. That's where it just kind of tones everything down. Most of us in the busy lifestyle are in a stress mode all the time. You have to do things. You're always on the go. You're always stressed out. When that happens, cortisol and adrenaline just start getting secreted. You need a time to rest. That's where the fast comes in. That's where Isaiah 58 comes in. Is this the fast that I called for? So as you're learning to decrease your sympathetic system, you want to stimulate the parasympathetic and learn and grow that way. The other type of things you really want to do is like, I heard people want to juice and other things like that. Be careful with juice if it's just cranberry juice, orange juice, or things like that. They have a lot of sugar in them. So I wouldn't recommend that, but if you want to do a juice plus a shake or something or replace a meal, fantastic, right? You're going to lose electrolytes. You're going to lose other things. So if you want to do a supplement that has about 90 nutrients or multiple uh, nutrients in it, vitamins and minerals that you're going to need, perfectly fine to do that. You can get pill form. You can get some kind of a liquid form. Very encourage you to do that. But if you're going to do a water fast or a full fast, be careful if you're going to do strenuous exercise because you will wipe out, you will do more injury because the body's going to go towards those things that are getting injured rather than repairing the DNA and the other things, toxins that have built up over time. This also resets your gut also because you need your gut. There's a lot of things the Lord placed in there to help with excretion, with digestion and those kind of things. Before you start any program, please consult with your physician and they'll help you walk you through it. With the desire for Life Church for everybody to take part in this, whether you're giving up something, whether you're giving up time away or time for yourself and giving that away to the Lord, to your spouse, to your kids, to serving the church. This is a fantastic opportunity to start the year off, to do something amazing and transform yourself into what God has called you to do. This year has been prophesied and been talked about that God is going to do something amazing and he wants you to be in the process of that. And I also encourage you never to try any of this alone. Grab one, two, three people, your life group, and do something. I've got my people that i got my eyes on that I want to do this. And every time we make a challenge, and it's for the Lord, we always accomplish something fantastic. So all glory to God. Thank you so much.
So that's kind of a little bit of that, that health aspect behind fasting. So, so be wise, you know, you know don't, don't uh, you know, jump into something that maybe your body's not ready for. But I was just talking to the guys back there. I think I told you I was going to fast some food for like probably seven days, you know, and then figure out where the Lord wants me to lead after that. And they were like, we're doing 21 days. Like the whole production team's like 21 days. I'm like, oh, crap, now I got to do 21 days. <laughs> Right? No, but, and, and there was a question when I was back there, uh, one of the, they asked, they said, well, can we not use this opportunity to share the gospel if we, if we say no, like we, someone offers us food, say no, I'm fasting. Does that, does that kind of neglect what, what Jesus was saying? Don't, don't share that with people. And, and just so for clarity, you can tell people you're fasting, but it's a boastful heart posture that the Lord doesn't want, right? You can say, no, I'm going to fast. I'm, I'm in the fast. And that could lead you into a great conversation about faith and why you fast. I mean, hopefully you're teaching your kids about it and why, you know, so, so it's not that you can't share why or the, that you are fasting. It's just don't brag about it like the hypocrites who say, look at me, because they got their reward that way. So now, why do we do prayer? Why do we focus on prayer? And I want to dive into this. So there's power in prayer. I, I mentioned it earlier, but there's great power in prayer. And this is what James uh, chapter 5 says. It says, verse 16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then it goes on to say this, Elijah was a imperfect human being, like basically just like you and I, as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Okay, so, so what, what's happening, James is writing and he's saying, you think Elijah was this like holier than thou person? He was just a normal guy like you and I. But what did he do different? He prayed earnestly. He waited on the Lord. He got to know the Lord and he could hear the Lord when the Lord would speak to him. But he prayed to the Lord earnestly and, it, and he accomplished the mission. Now I wonder, I just wonder if Elijah, the story of Elijah was that he, he, he prayed that there would be no rain so that King Ahab and the evil, the evil queen Jezebel would kind of get a good smack on the wrist and say, hey, knock off the foolishness, right? I wonder if, if it was God's idea for there to be no rain, or if it was Elijah's idea for there to be no rain. Have you thought about that? It doesn't say the Lord told Elijah to pray that there would be no rain. It says Elijah prayed that there would be no rain, and that's what happened. So your prayers can move the heart of God. We've seen this oftentimes where God was saying, hey, even Moses moved the heart of God to do something different than God was planning to do. Now you may say, well, doesn't God already know? Yes, God knows, but the point that God is saying, he's saying, hey, I'm gonna go this way, but if you pray and you cry out earnestly, then maybe I'll, maybe I'll change course. But I'm waiting on you to see if you're actually going to do the job. That really throws Calvinists for a loop, just so you know. Okay? Calvinism says that everything's already planned out. Every single step you're going to take from this point on, there's really no purpose in praying other than we're commanded to pray, so we do it, but it's not going to change anything. That is not the heart of the gospel. That is what parent, and here's how I know this. Okay, the Bible really kind of alludes to the, your prayers are powerful and they can move the hearts of God. We see this often. But here, just practically speaking, how do I know that that far end of the Calvinistic spe spectrum is not accurate? Because what parent in this room would ever expect their children to never do something ever with their life on their own? Okay, like you, like, hey, listen, little Johnny, little Susie, like, I, I'm your parent. You just, you just kind of, you know, play the part. I'm going to do everything for you your entire life. You know, I, I'm going to, you know, you, you can go out and get a job if you want, but 
I'm going to provide for you anyway, so you might as well, like, if you want to get a job, great, go for it. Maybe you should have one because it'll look the part. What parent does that? There's no parent on the face of the earth that's a good parent that says, yeah, I want my kids to, to live a life like that. Every parent says, I want to tr- raise up my child in the way that they should go. I want to train them. I want to equip them. And then I want to send them so they can do awesome things. And you know what Jesus said? He said, you're going to do even greater things than I've done. Now, if Jesus himself hadn't have said that, we would stone people for blasphemy if they said that, had not God himself said that, right? But yet Jesus said that, which is a mind-blowing thought when you think, why in the world would God tell us the lower creation, we're not the creator, we're the creation, that the creation's going to do even greater things than he. And some people try to theologically rationalize that away be like well that's salvation we're going to tell people about the gospel and that's great i mean that's 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 what jesus was talking about i don't see it that way because this, the gospel has been proclaimed since the beginning of of time in the garden of eden we've talked about that the pro the proto evangelium the prophetic word of the gospel was going to happen okay it almost it, nothing changed when jesus before jesus said that and after jesus said that he just said hey you're going to do greater things than i've done like there's no, the gospel has always been. So what, something did change and it was that he sent a spirit to us so that we could walk in that spirit and we could move in awesome ways as children of God. As a proud parent, wouldn't you love to look at your child someday and be like, I did X, Y, and Z with my life, but they did A, uh, a B, and C with their life, right? And look how proud I am of them. They went to greater heights than I did. So I'm kind of getting on a little tangent here, but Isn't it cool to think that Elijah came up with the solution and prayed for the Lord to to say, hey, Lord, I think this would be a great solution. And the Lord honored that. And the Lord made it work together for good. Sometimes God is going to call you to pray a solution out. And then he's going to come behind those prophetic words and make it happen. Other times he's going to say, hey, I'm going to tell you the words to say. And I want you to align with my word. So this is, this is kind of how that, like, that, that child discerning, growing into a man, walking, growing into a woman, walking in your, 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 your childlike gifting and prophetic spirit. You're going to have to learn to discern, Lord, are you calling me to speak a solution? Or is there a solution that you've already declared that you want me to align with? Right? And I think that's the, that's the cool part of this story. But he was just a human being, just like you and I. And yet he did this. So prayer warriors know three things. And we're going to, I'm going to, kind of breeze through these here relatively quick so hold on you got your notes um just follow along but know what others don't prayer warriors know what others don't so prayer warriors know that there is real mount moving enemy crushing dynamic power in prayer now there's a great story in scripture that i want you to turn to it's going to be in second kings chapter six it's one of my favorite stories when it just comes to this idea of someone who waits on the lord can prophetically hear from the lord but also knows how to pray to align the kingdom of heaven here on this earth and make things happen in this earth. And this is a story of Elisha. So I just talked about Elijah. And Elisha was the spiritual son of Elijah. How would you love to have walked in the, the, the shoes of, of Elijah, right? That would have been awesome. And we see Elisha was given a double portion of what Elijah was even given in Scripture. You know, when Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, he said, Elijah says to Elisha, what would you like of me? And Elisha said, I'd like a double portion of the anointing from God that you have. And Elisha said, if you keep your eyes on me and don't look away, then you will get that as I'm taken up into heaven. 
And Elisha was given that. So he has this awesome power. So here's the story, what's going on. Ahab and Jezebel have been, they're, they're dead at this point. Okay, Jezebel was destroyed and, or I'm sorry, they're not dead. They're, Ahab's dead. Jezebel's still alive. She's going to die here pretty soon. So, but the, they're, they're evil. They're not good rulers. But the son of Ahab, uh, Je, uh, Je, Je, uh, Jehoram, Jehoram, he was, the, he was the king of Israel at this time. Not really a good king at all, but still the king of Israel. So Elisha, obviously, is an Israelite, and he wants to see Israel, you know, go down the direction of success and prosperity, but they need to honor the Lord. But uh, Jehoram was the son of Ahab and Jezebel, and they're battling, they're battling enemy forces. So there's an army and a king, an evil king, and even more evil, even more evil. I mean, it's kind of like the lesser of evils, right? You kind of have when you're studying the Old Testament, it's like, okay, they were bad, they were really bad. They were God's people and really bad. They were not God's people and kind of bad. They were God's people and not kind of bad and good. And then there were God's people that were not God's people. Yeah, it's just confusing. All right, but here we go. <laughs> I'm confusing myself. Are you confused yet? I'm thoroughly confused. I hope you are too. All right, great. All right. So now you got the, the, king, of, uh, the, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And he would confer with his officers. So he was a real bad guy fighting Israel who was being led by a bad guy as well, but we want Israel. Israel's on the side of God still, sort of. We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. So the king was making these advanced secret, top secret plans to destroy Israel. But immediately, Elisha, I love this, immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel. Every time this king, this enemy king's trying to do something, Elisha gets the prophetic word of what is already going on. And then he goes to, to the king of Israel, the son of Ahab, Jehoram, and he says, hey, this is what your enemy king is, is going to do, just so you know, you know, don't go over there because he's, gonna, he's, he's planning to, to you know, come out and get you there. So don't go near that place for the, the Arameans, they're planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. Okay, so you have a spy in the enemy king's most, most uh, confidential rooms in his palace. Okay, but who's the spy? It's the spirit of the living God. Okay, you're not really going to, you're not going to win that battle if you're the king of Aram. But he became very upset over this and he called his officers together and he demanded, which one of you is the traitor? Somebody's selling me out here because all of our plans get to the king of Israel somehow, way, shape, or form. So what is going on? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? And one of his advisors says, it's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words you speak even in the privacy of your bedroom. Okay, so, so we got the spirit of the Lord prophetically speaking to Elisha. He's going and he's sharing it with, with the king of Israel. And it's thwarting the king of Aram's plans. So he was given powerful words of knowledge of the enemy's plans. How would you like to know that what, what the enemy's going to do to you tomorrow, plan to do to you tomorrow? Wouldn't that be great to know that? You know, like, hey, he's setting your trap for you over there. Don't go there, right? Or go there, but, you know, go there knowing exactly what to do to overcome the trap. Elisha, that's, that's called words of knowledge. And if you were here this past weekend for the prophetic conference, we talked a little bit about words of knowledge. And wisdom, words of wisdom, the difference between the two. So then uh, the, the king says to his, his servants, go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to capture him, to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at a town called Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. 
So we see this. The king, this is, this is the king. Uh, technically, Aram would be where Syria is at. So Benadad uh, surrounded the city of Dothan with his powerful war machines. So we see that anytime you're going to be a powerhouse in the kingdom of God, be ready because the enemy is going to send its big guns to war against you. Now, I'm not telling you that because I want to freak you out and I want to scare you. I'm just telling you that to say, hey, if you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness, they're going to have their targets on, on you a little bit. And I always ask the question of myself, I wonder if my picture is on the war room of hell. Right? And I ask that with anticipation that I hope it is. Right? I don't want to get to heaven someday and find out I wasn't that big of a threat to the enemy and they didn't really waste their time with me. I want the enemy to have done what the king of Aram did to, to, to Elisha where they send out a great army to try to seize this man of God. Because I think that would be awesome to get to heaven someday and be like, man, the enemy forces were coming at you left and right, but you had the spirit of the living God all over you and they couldn't even touch you. So be ready. If, you, if you're a threat, you're going to have the shots of the enemy. But that's okay because God is on your side. And when God is for you, who can be against you? When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning, he went outside. So when Elisha's servant, okay, so he would now, this, this young man would be like the Elisha to Elijah, okay? So the spiritual son of Elisha. He gets up the next morning, he goes outside, and the troops and horses and the chariots were everywhere. I love this. It's just, you, you, he turned around, and he looked up on the hill, and there's all of the enemy forces of the king of Aram that are surrounding Dothan. And he runs back in his side, and he says, oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. What will we do? We are done for. So prayer warriors, they know what others don't, but they also see what others can't, okay? So prayer warriors see what others cannot see. Here's where Elisha shows up with what he is seeing and what his servant is not seeing. He says, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And I bet that in the moment the servant was like, okay, um, one, two, one, two, one, two. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, Listen, there's thousands up there and there's only two here. I don't know, Elisha, if you know how to count. Maybe Elijah didn't teach you that. You know, you're too busy praying. But there is not more of us than there is of them. But what is Elisha seeing? He's seeing the spiritual realm. And again, the prophetic conference this re weekend was all about looking into the veil of the spiritual realm. When you see the awesome forces of God you know that you are going to have protection and backup. I love Michael Van Vlyman's. If you weren't here, Michael Van Vlyman's talk on Friday night. He can see into the, he can see into the angelic realm. And he was, he was led to go and pray over Keystone one day. He was telling the story, Keystone Mall. And he does this prayer walk, and he, I mean, he elaborates on it, but he walks around Keystone pretty much for about two hours as he's waiting for his wife to get off work. And, and he's praying in the Spirit, and he's walking around. He kind of at first, he was a little, you know, you know, oh my goodness, like I got two hours I have to kill here. And the Lord said, just, I want you to, I want you to pray over the mall. So he walks through the mall and gets done in about 15 minutes. He's like, well, I got still more time. Well, I'm going to walk around the mall, right? So he goes around, walks around the mall. It's not a lot on the outside. There's not a lot of people there is what he said in the story. So he raises his hand. He begins to pray out loud in the spirit. And, uh, and then he comes, he ends in the food court. And when he's in the food court, he sees somebody on the other side of the food court, a black man, he said, he had beautiful eyes. And this guy was just looking at him. And, and he's thinking, okay, maybe I met this guy. Maybe he's at my wife's work. And I just and so this man starts walking to him. And he holds out his hand. And he shakes Michael's hand. And he says, I'm so thankful for what you're doing here today. And Michael's like, oh, yeah. Well, I'm, and he didn't know anyone was watching, right? 
And then this man said, he said, I am the angel of the Lord that's been placed over the Keystone Mall. And he said he walks away and disappears. Right? That's cool when you can see stuff like that, right? When you know, wow, I've got backup right here in the food court. You know what I mean? The angel of the Lord is here and he's watching all this stuff. Well, that's, that can happen to us today too. But Elisha is seeing this. We see this with people who know how to pray. People who can hear the voice of the Lord. They can see what others don't. The word more can mean more in quantity, but it can also mean more in, more in power too. I want you to, like, just like, I would say if you're at Keystone right now, and you had that awesome angel of the Lord on your side, and there was an army of gangsters, you know, that were coming in to take you, but that angel shows up, and you know it's the angel of the Lord. I think even just him and I right there, I would feel like we're outnumbering this huge army of gangsters that are coming to kill us, right? Like, it's the power of the Lord when it rests. But but the power of the Lord rests in you as well. So you, you know that you plus God equals the majority. And, El- and Elisha can see this. So he could see into the natural, but he could also see into the spiritual realm, which is exactly what the prophetic conference was about. And it gave peace and confidence in the midst of the storm, being able to see that. Now, we, we walk through a lot of things in life. And it brings a lot of anxiety. It brings a lot of fear. And the reason it does is because sometimes we're not looking into the spiritual realm to be able to see what God is doing. Imagine the story of Job. Job went through, a, went through hell on earth in his life for a season. But he couldn't, he couldn't see into the spiritual realm. He thought, oh, there's something going on. You know, there's, there's something happening in my life. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I, I, I sinned against the Lord. He's trying to make all these natural conclusions. What's happening is a spiritual battle. Now, if Job would have known that in the season, what God was doing, I think he would have had a heck of a lot more peace and confidence than he did. He never cursed God, but he had a lot of anxiety, he had a lot of despair, he had a lot of doubt. But when you can see into the spiritual realm, it brings you great peace in the midst of the storm. So Elisha doesn't pray that the situation would change. He doesn't say, Lord, strike down the enemies. He just prays this one prayer. He says, if you go on and read, he says, Lord, would you open the spiritual eyes of my servant? Open my servant's eyes so he can see as well. And his servant's eyes were opened, and the servant looks around. And the scripture doesn't say this, but I can imagine in that moment, peace and confidence flooded into his servant's heart as well. And that's what seeing into the spiritual realm is all about. Now, if you're dealing with, you know, anxiety and fear, and I would maybe ask the question, well, start putting on your spiritual eyes. What's God doing here? Maybe you're dealing with a health issue. Maybe you're dealing with financial issues. Maybe you're dealing with relationship issues and family issues. Put your spiritual eyes on. What's God trying to show you or teach you or walk through? What is happening in the spiritual because of what's being carried out in the natural right now? Because I think if you could see it, it would give you great peace and confidence. That's what the 21 days of prayer is all about. You know, guardian angels are there to protect you. They're there to surround you. The Bible says this, guardian angels are there um, for those who have received salvation. Hebrews 1.14 says this, Are not the angels ministering spirits or servants sent out in the service of God for the assistance of those who are to inherit salvation? So Paul is asking the question in Hebrews. He's saying, didn't you know that angels are there for your benefit? To help you, to defend you, to walk alongside of you, to pray and to, 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 to they themselves cry out to the Lord and pray over who would ever thought the Keystone Mall? We were joking after the prophetic conference. It's like, okay, Keystone's got one. I bet Castleton has about 20, okay, you know? 
<laughs> but we know Keystone has at least one, okay? Maybe there's more. But, but Keystone, you know, who would have thought? The Keystone Mall has a servant of the living God there to help and protect those who, are, who, are, who have salvation. Because that's your inheritance. When someone's blind to the spiritual reality that there is a God or that there's, there, there are angels around you, you've got to pray for their eyes to be open. So like I was saying earlier when I was talking to John, you know, he's, he's praying in that, with that woman in his life. God, open her spiritual eyes so she can see that you are truly good. Open her spiritual eyes so she can know ultimately that she needs you. Open her spiritual eyes so that she can know that she's loved. Who do you need to pray that for? And that's warfare prayer. That is specifically designed to attack the demonic trying to accomplish. When you can see the enemy, you know how to pray in a way a warrior would pray. You can see what the enemy's trying to do, and you can, you can in the name of Jesus, rebuke it. But if you can't see what the enemy is doing, you're kind of just throwing, you know, anything to the wall to see what sticks. Well, maybe the enemy's doing this, so I'm going to pray against that. Well, okay, maybe you get it right, but maybe you don't. So learn that warfare prayer be a warrior, a prayer warrior. And that's what the 21 days of prayer and fasting is designed to do, is to help us build a habit of prayer to where we can be like the Elishas. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.